1: Welcome to Discover Your Spiritual Identity. It's about time that we find out who we are in Christ so that we can boldly walk in our God-given identity and in the roles that He has assigned to us. Now today I'm going to focus on a parable that is absolutely essential to understand. In fact, Jesus implied if you and I do not comprehend this parable We can't comprehend any of the parables that he gave when he walked on the earth. And so this is an important and foundational revelation for our discovery of who we are and what God expects of us. First of all, let me talk about the word parable. What does that word mean? It comes from original words that mean to throw alongside. So you have a concept, and then you throw a parable alongside that concept to illustrate more perfectly its meaning. And Jesus spoke in parables. In fact, there was an Old Testament prophecy that declared that he would open his mouth in parables, which are pithy stories, full of meaning, symbolical, metaphorical, poetical, beautiful. It takes truth in black and white and projects it into full color. That's what a parable does. It excites the human mind because we think imaginatively. We think in symbols and images, and Jesus was a master at communicating that way. Well, the first primary parable in Matthew chapter 13, in fact, that's the first chapter in the New Testament where the word parable appears is the parable of the sower and our calling to be good ground and that's going to be our primary focus what does it mean to be good ground jesus is talking to his disciples to all of those who were following his teachings and he compared them to ground now if i were to do that i might slip up and say you're a bunch of dirt clods because it means the same thing but I would immediately lose my audience, I'm sure. Well, he didn't say it in such a base way. He said it in a way to excite potential, to awaken potential, because ground speaks of potential. Not everyone reaches his or her potential, and there's a way that we can more effectively achieve what God has sent us to be and what God has sent us to do. Now, let me read the parable to begin with. It's Matthew chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. He said that a certain sower went forth to sow, and he sowed, and some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up and they were scorched, because they had no root, they withered away some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Now, the disciples really did not fully comprehend what he was talking about, and so later on in private, those closer followers of the Lord asked him to interpret that parable for them. And right before he interpreted it, he said, to you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. Why did he say that? Well, he was explaining why he spoke in parables. In fact, the disciples asked him, why do you speak in parables? And he said, because it's given to you to know the mysteries, the mysteries, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a very mysterious thing, but he said to them, it's not given. And he was talking about those that were there, just to be entertained, that didn't really love truth, love God, or want the ways of God. I'm sure he wasn't talking about those who were very sincere in discovering truth and applying it to their lives. So, parables are given for a twofold reason, to reveal and to conceal. Simultaneously, parables frame mysteries of the kingdom of god in such symbolic language it takes the holy spirit to unveil the meaning and of course you have to be among those who are chosen blessed and favored by god to have the power of the holy spirit in your life to unveil the meaning of the parables and to those whose heart are not really toward god it it prevents them from understanding it. It presents a wall uh, so that they can't comprehend. Now, when the disciples asked Jesus to interpret it, this is what he said. Therefore, hear the parable of the sword. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by wayside ground. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. But when tribulation or persecution and other parallel passages, say temptation or affliction, arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. The King James Version says by and by he is offended. Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty and some 30. So, he unpacks it. He unveils it. He pulls back the veil on the meaning of that. But still, we can go deeper. I need to mention that there are other places in the Gospels where this parable appears. I'm speaking, of course, from Matthew chapter 13, verses, well, it's all the way through verse 23 from the beginning of the parable, which is verse 4 but then it's also found in Mark chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, and Luke chapter 8, verse 13. Let's start with the meaning of the seed. What does that symbol represent? Well, Jesus said the word is seed. The word is seed. He unveiled that in his teaching because seed has unlimited growth potential. One little tiny apple seed Can be planted in the ground and an apple tree come up with a hundred apples on it and every one of those apples just suppose has ten seeds then you've got a thousand seeds that can be planted and become a thousand apple trees with a hundred apples on each one that's a hundred thousand apples each one containing ten seeds that's a million seeds in the next generation that can be planted can you see how exponential the growth is and it all starts from one tiny little seed with life in it that is hidden a genetic code yes but there's hidden life in the seed and the word of god is seed and when the word is planted in our lives It has unlimited growth potential that reaches from time to eternity. Wow. What about wayside ground? Jesus said when the seed is sown on wayside ground, well, first he said the birds came and ate up that seed because the ground is hard. It's impervious to the seed. It can't get down in the soil so it can germinate. And that represented how, when the person hears the word of the kingdom, but they have a hardened heart, that the wicked one comes and snatches away what's been spoken, lest they hear it and apply it to their lives. Well, I don't believe that means Satan is personally present in the life of every person who hears the word, but if he's not there personally and Normally, he wouldn't be because he can only be in one place at one time. He has a host of demonic spirits under him around the globe that have caught his purpose and do his bidding. And so there will be demonic entities there to somehow convince the person through twisted logic or unbelief or rebellion or some means to reject the word so it never gets implanted in the heart. Okay, so when the word of the kingdom is sowed, it can't find a place to grow on wayside ground. Why? What is wayside ground? It's the hardened path around a field where those who are cultivating that field walk when they come to weed the field, to plant the field, what have you. There's wayside ground, which is usually around the field or through the middle of the field, That is impacted because it's been trodden under the foot of man, and it speaks of a hardened heart. And there's a lot of things that can harden the heart and make it impervious to the Word of God. You need to inspect whether or not your heart has gotten too hard to receive God's Word in such a way that it bears fruit. Let me tell you how you can get a hard heart. In Job chapter 6 verse 10, that patriarch who went through such devastation in his life talked about how he almost was hardened in sorrow. So it's not always rebellion that causes a person to have a hard heart. Sometimes it's damage, damage from relationships, damage from circumstances in life that seemingly are unfair and unjust, and it just hardens the heart and makes it less receptive to the things of god beware of that and then in hebrews chapter 3 verses 8 through 15 it talks about how we should not harden our hearts as the israelites did in the day of provocation in the wilderness that's when they rebelled against god in the wilderness in numerous ways and god called it the day of provocation when they provoked god they hardened their hearts It was an amazing thing that so quickly they went from dancing in ecstasy on the other side of the Red Sea as Miriam the prophetess with her tambourine led the women of Israel singing, the Lord is a man of war. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. And not long after that, they're all complaining at the waters of Marah saying, you brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us, Moses. They provoke God with their unbelief. So don't do that. Don't forget God's commandments. They provoke God because he appeared to them on Mount Sinai and gave the Ten Commandments in a fiery display of authority and power. And it wasn't long after that that they made a golden idol and worshipped it. Broke the first two commandments within just a few weeks. Imagine that. They harden their hearts by forgetting God's works and forgetting God's commandments. Don't forget what God has done in your life and don't forget what God has said in your life. In Deuteronomy 15 verses 7 through 11, God warned the children of Israel not to harden their hearts in insensitivity to the poor. And maybe right now we're in a position where we're able to take care of our natural needs, but there's some people in the world, many people, millions of people in the world right now who are suffering greatly, and we need to be sensitive to their pain because God told us not to harden our hearts for one reason or another uh, and and be oblivious to the need of humanity. He said the poor will always be with you, but that doesn't mean we harden our hearts and say, well, it's futile. I can't alleviate the whole problem, so why alleviate part of the problem? We need to find a way of sowing into the lives of people who need help. Then Nebuchadnezzar boasted over his accomplishments. Have not I created Babylon by the power of my hand? And the Bible said his mind was hardened in pride. And because of that, he lost his sanity for a number of years and acted like an animal crawling around eating the grass like a cow. Think of of that, Uh, how this great leader of this great empire, because of pride hardening his mind, he lost his mind. Be careful. Pharisees followed Jesus to catch him in doing something wrong. They weren't concerned that he heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, raise the dead, work miracles right before their eyes. They just wanted to catch him to see if he would heal someone on the Sabbath day and break their rules that they were so passionate about keeping. Religion hardens the heart against the real move of God. And Jesus was grieved because of the hardness of their hearts, the Bible says. Then he even rebuked his own disciples when he rose from the dead over their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they did not believe the women when they came back and said, the grave is empty, the tomb is empty, he's risen from the dead. And their hearts were hardened. It's almost like this. Have you ever seen a ball of wax? And if you put fire under it, it melts and becomes liquefied. But as soon as you remove the fire, it hardens again. That's the condition of the human heart. You have to stay under the influence of the fire of the word and the fire of the spirit. And that dual influence, and both are represented as fire in scripture, will keep your hearts soft before God. There's also a scripture I think needs to be applied here where the prophet Hosea said, sow to yourselves in righteousness and reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he come and rain righteousness down on you. What is fallow ground? That is ground that was once plowed but has been left for months and has become hardened again. That happens a lot in churches That happens in our lives personally, where maybe one time we were not hardened against the things of God, but life takes its toll, and we need to break up our fallow ground. How do you do that? With a plow. Well, how do you implement a spiritual plow? What's that all about? Well, didn't the Bible say that we should take our swords and turn them into plowshares? Well, a sword represents the word of God as a weapon to fight an enemy, but you can turn a sword into an instrument, a farming instrument called a plow, and you can bend it. And then it's used not against an enemy, but it's used to produce fruit for your nourishment, for your sustenance. And so maybe that's what we should do. Take the word of God and turn it into a plow and use it on our own hearts. Uh, in order to break up the ground and make it more receptive to the seed. Now, the second kind of condition that Jesus talked about was not wayside ground, but stony ground. And the stony places, well, that represented those who received the word right away, and with joy they respond to it. But when the sun of tribulation rises and shines and the heat increases, then the little plants wither and die because they have no root in themselves. And Jesus used it to represent several things. He talked about stony places, uh, stony places being uh, places that are shallow, places where people have a shallow walk with God, a shallow life, a shallow existence. And so we need to dig deeper. We need to dig deeper. We need to remove the stones from our hearts, so to speak, and make it so that the seed of the word can go down deep and we can have root connection. In fact, there's two scriptures that talk about how we should be rooted. Number one in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, it says that we should be rooted and built up in him, speaking about the Lord Jesus, and established in the faith. And so our roots can't be in our local church that we're a part of. That's certainly part of it. That's important. But our roots have got to go deeper than our relationship with people. It's our relationship with the Lord. We're rooted in him. And if everything else fails us, if leadership fails us, if the church fails us, if uh, the politicians fail us, if, if the systems we depend on uh, uh, for stability and the infrastructure of our lives fail us, if we're rooted in him, we'll still be bringing forth fruit and we'll still be established in the faith. And that's what Colossians 2.7 says. Then Ephesians 3.17 says we need to be rooted and grounded in love. Now that's very important because love endures all things. Love hopes all things. Love believes all things. And love never fails. Everything else in this world and around you and your particular environment, your life personally, can fail. It can all fall apart. But if love is really deep in you, if you're rooted in love, then everything around you can collapse, and you're still standing. You're still bearing fruit. You're still growing. You're still connected to God. And that's deep, because that's the deep-rooted kind of believer that can keep growing even through difficult circumstances. And then he talked about those that were sown in thorny places, and the thorns rose up and choked the plant and rendered it unfruitful. And he compared those thorns to three things, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things. That doesn't sound like something sinful, the cares of this world. That may just be the pressures of life, the deceitfulness of riches. Well, I thought God wanted to prosper you financially. Well, I say it this way. There's nothing wrong with you having mammon. What's wrong is when mammon has you. And God wants to bless people financially and materially so that they can in turn bless the kingdom. I never could have taken major mission trips if it were not for Christian businessmen that supported me. And I believe God anointed them in their businesses just like he's anointed me in the proclamation of the word of God. But those were godly men That put God first in their lives. Mammon didn't have them, they had mammon. It was under their control, under their authority, and they used it to distribute it in ways that were beneficial. But riches can be deceitful, and people can live for riches instead of living for God, and that's when it's corrupted. And the lust of other things. Lust is not just sexual desire, it's selfish desire. It's being selfish about anything in life that just becomes a very egotistical existence. It causes you to live for yourself where you become the center of your world. It's all about me. And that can choke the word out of you because the basis of being a disciple is not catering to self, not exalting self, but denying self. Okay, let's get to good ground. Jesus finally said, they that are on good ground are they which in an honest and a good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Several important points there. If you're going to be good grounds, you've got to have a good heart. He said, those that receive the seed on good ground are those who with an honest and good heart. Honesty, integrity. We need that in our lives personally, in all our interactions with others, in our relationship with God. The one thing that didn't fail with Job was he retained his integrity. He lost everything else, but he guarded his integrity. We need to do the same. And once we hear the word, don't just store up theological concepts in your life, but apply it to your life. And you're on your way to being good, fertile, rich soil, that the seed of the word can grow in. And you bring forth fruit with what? With patience. With patience. Because impatience can detour you spiritually altogether. You've got to wait on God and develop your character and develop your relationship with God and lay the foundation of your ministry or your work, whatever it may be, over months and years and decades. Even Jesus stayed in the world 30 years before his three and a half years of demonstrative ministry, but it was all preparation time. And he did say that they would bring forth 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, I would hate to get to the end of my life and realize that I only reached a 30% potential of what I could have done if I had been adventurous, courageous, and full of faith. I don't want to find out I only achieved 60%. I want to get to the end of the road and say, I kept the faith. I fought a good fight and I reached for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, which I believe is the maximum manifestation of the potential of the implanted word in your life. 100 hundredfold. I want to be able to say, I reached that mark of that prize of that high calling of God in Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you do too. Well, it's all about bearing fruit. And I'm going to end with this. There's really four major kinds of fruit that we bear. If you are good ground, and listen, one thing that's very encouraging to me about this parable is that the sower represents Jesus. He represented himself in that role, but he only achieved perfect success one-sixth of the time the seed was sown. Uh, of course, it was not successful on wayside ground or stony ground or thorny ground, but also was not completely successful on good ground in two uh, parts, the 30-fold and the 60-fold. It was only fully successful for those who brought forth fruit a hundredfold. So if God in a human body is only fully successful in impacting others one-sixth of the time, then you should not get discouraged if people don't always respond to you the way you want them to. Your loved ones, your daughters, your sons, your husband's wives, your friends, your co-workers, maybe a lot of them won't listen to you. But if God himself doesn't have 100% success, why do you think you should? That's the nature of this world. All right, the four kinds of fruit, and then I've got to end real quick. There's the fruit of the divine nature, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Or it's sometimes been rendered uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then number two, you have the fruit of righteous deeds, which are spoken of as being fruits worthy of repentance by John the Baptist. And then Paul said we should be fruitful in every good work. And so it is anything you can do in the name of Christ or in the name of just being a compassionate fellow human being. Then you have the fruit of souls being won into the kingdom of God. Jesus used that analogy. In John chapter 4, verse 36, uh, when he came to Samaria, he talked about how all the Samaritans responding to him was a way of gathering fruit to life eternal. And so that's an important endeavor. And then finally, Hebrews 13, 15 says, let us offer unto God the sacrifice of praise to God continually, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Four ways that we can bring forth fruit. And the Bible says, if you're, if you're desiring, if you're longing to be a true disciple, Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. Well, that's the teaching on what it is to be good ground. But I'm going to end it with a little poem, a poem I wrote many years ago based on Psalm 42, that talks about deep calls unto deep. The depth in you calls out to the depth in God. Listen to this poem. Deep calls unto deep. O Lord, may we be good ground for your seed, bearing fruit unto thee. The fruit of your character, the fruit of souls won, the fruit of good works and praise to the Son. Fruit for the husbandman, that he yearns to obtain. So, he sends us his word as heavenly rain. It will not return void, but accomplish his will. This is also deep unto deep calling still. So, God's deep desire for you is to be good ground. May your deep desire toward him be to be good ground. God bless you. Thank you for listening. And be sure to tune into my other podcast, which is called Revealing the True Light. And you can go to shreedministries.org, look under ministry, and go down to podcasts and get all the information about subscribing to the other podcast also.